Hello and welcome to The Rebuild, a Browns podcast um, aptly named for our offensive line. My name is Peter Moses and joining me on the other line from First Energy Stadium where she's still waiting to see if they're going to run the ball inside the five-yard line on first and goal. It's Meredith Kane. Hello, Meredith. I'm about to get trampled by another uh, Rams player again. Listen, uh, that would just make you a member of our offensive line because yeah, that right. can happen to them all goddamn day. The Browns lose uh, a really frustrating game. They lose 20-13 to 13 on Sunday night. Their entire secondary was hurt, and I think their secondary was probably the best – uh, the best performing uh, group of the bunch. Yeah, I was about to say the backup secondary played better than anybody else on that field outside of Miles Garrett. I mean, they definitely coached better than Freddie Kitchens. Let's uh, let's put that out there right now. He uh, it was a real stink bomb from the old ball coach. Well, I think the frustrating thing is going into this game, nobody really thought that the Browns had a chance because this was you know a defending Super Bowl. I don't know what do you, what do you want to call it? the defending Super Bowl attendees? I guess if you want to say they like they yes. went to a Super Bowl last year. Super they Bowl have a, participants. Yes, they <laughs> have a prolific head coach who is a millennial, which is great. Uh, and people are going into this saying like, "Oh, we'll just be glad if the Browns hang in it." And then going into halftime with a lead and going into the third quarter with a lead, everyone's like, "Oh my God, they're actually going to do this! It's a miracle on Lake Erie! Oh my God! Oh my God!" And then just like the coaching shits the bed, and I think that's probably what made it so much worse is that if the Browns, I think, hung in it, but were behind the majority of the of the game, I don't think people would be quite as upset as opposed to you know you're literally knocking on the door, you're. You know, you've got four fucking chances to get it into the end zone before before time runs out in the fourth quarter and you just don't do it. You know, like Nick Chubb averages four carries or four yards a carry. Like that's that's all you needed to do was hand it to him once and it would have gotten in. So I think that's probably what made this loss so much more frustrating than it should have been. It really uh, it was really disappointing because. I understand that football is a very complicated game and that there are so many people so much smarter than me who actually know how to play it and understand it and dissect it. But also sometimes football is easy as hell. And um, not running the ball when you're inside the five-yard line, not, oh, man, just, like, not, like, having any semblance of, like, an identity at all. No identity at all. Well, and here's the thing. So I think the the lack of identity is coming from, and I, I don't know this for certain, but it almost feels like Todd Munkin is calling half of the plays and Freddie Kitchens is calling half of the plays and their coaching styles are like night and day. They're Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde. And I think that is probably confusing the offense and the offensive line, and they can't really figure out who they are. Uh, I do think that Baker was probably missing Hollywood Higgins a lot more than people let on because he's just got a great relationship with him. But I really, from what it looks like, it almost feels like we have two different styles of play calling happening because at one point on that 75-yard, you know, touchdown play, well, it wasn't a 75-yard plays, but it was, you know, like six plays, 75 yards, they get it in the end zone. It's, you know, three-step dropbacks, quick passes, 
marching down the field, you know, 10 yards at a time kind of thing. And, you know, Baker's not holding on to the ball for very long. And that's what got them into the end zone. And then all of a sudden, the next drive, he's dropping back 15 steps. Like, he's stepping back into Lake Erie. He's going for long balls. He's hanging on to the ball. He's scrambling. He has zero pocket patience. Like... I, I, and it was like night and day with some of these plays. And I it feels like there's two different people pulling the strings. And I feel like that's why the offense doesn't have the identity that it should at this point. It's real. Listen, if there's one thing that we are good at dissecting, it's um, problems between coaches. Uh, and you saw this last year with Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. Oh, and- that was so much fun. It- I, I wish I was in the room for that. But I, I know we were kind of there. With with hard knocks, but man, that's it's like just, a delicious scene to go back and watch every now and then. It just feels like we're beating ourselves more than the Rams beat us, which is such a bummer because we got the defensive performance we needed. They got the ball three fucking times. They turned him over. Miles Garrett did his thing. And whatever the fuck Baker is experiencing this year in his playbook and the play calling is not making him feel confident in the pocket. I know that the line is a little bit shakier, but... I don't feel like he's comfortable with what he's seeing, and that is attributing just as much to his happy feet as it is the offensive line. I know the line is not great. And listen, I will be the first one, and I have been the first one, to bitch about the offensive line, but they just don't look like they are they have their shit together at all. Do you think Greg Robinson is a fraud? No, I don't think – I think that defensive line is actually probably the toughest one that we've played of all of them. Aaron Donald – made Joe Batonio look like um, Pee Wee football. Yeah. He made yeah. him look like he made him yeah. look like Austin Corbett. It, like, <laughs> you, you hate Austin Corbett so much. I don't hate Austin Poor Corbett. Guy. Listen, I honor and respect every single person who decides to put on a football helmet and run into a car crash every single time for my pleasure. First and foremost, <laughs> I want to say that. Like if you play And also football, for your fantasy football team and your my yeah, bookie bets. You are a gladiator. I am uh, garnering pure enjoyment off of you cutting your life short for my entertainment and i am humbled and grateful to have that opportunity that being said that line did not look good and but like i like i understand that he got hit and i understand that the line looked bad at times but that wasn't even the thing that felt like it was the most contributing factor to them not doing well offensively I mean, every time Baker gets sacked, my heart stops for a second because as bad as the offensive line has been, as questionable as Baker has been, he is still the franchise quarterback. He might be going through a sophomore slump right now, which is insanely frustrating because of the amount of talent on the team this year. So you want to see, you know, year two Baker looking like second half of year one Baker. And that's what we want. That may or may not happen this year, and I'm going to try and be okay with it. But absolute worst case scenario is Baker going the way of every other starting quarterback in the league so far, whether it's shoulders, knees, feet, ACLs. Like the last thing we want is an injured Baker, and like you've just you've got to protect him. Like I don't want to see him get sacked anymore. I'm I'm I can't handle it. Like, it's like, it's almost like I'm an overprotective mom, even though I'm not old enough to be his mom. I'm like watching. It's like, no, don't hurt my baby. It's not a wrong instinct to have about him. And I think the thing that's frustrating is we all kind of thought we were going to lose this game. 
And it's fine to lose this game, but it's frustrating when you feel like you're catching L's on, like, the macro view or, like, the bird's eye view of your organization, too. Like, this is now three games. It's a pattern. Whatever's happening with Todd Munkin and Freddie is not working. And that's not to say whose fault it is. And Freddie's fucked up. He's fucked up. He's... You know, someone who's never been a head coach at any level, nor and it's you know, starting to show. Yeah, maybe it's not really a starting great to look. show. You know, maybe John Dorsey drinking a little bit too much of his own Kool Aid there for the second half of the season. But there was a freedom and an aggression that the offense had last year that is completely lacking this year. It seems like they are uh reacting instead of being the aggressors in every component of the offense. So I have a lot of thoughts about Freddie Kitchens. Like first off after the game in the press conference and this is, you know, the one quote that got all the tweets and all the quotes and I I tweeted out the video of him saying it uh where he says if you're going to blame anyone, blame me and that feels like he he realizes that he's in over his head. Like that was kind of the takeaway that I took from that particular soundbite was I think he's suddenly realized that maybe this is a lot more work than he's used to and a lot more work that he may be able to handle at the moment. So I think that that's a little worrisome. And I, and I hate to say this and I hate to bring it up because it is a lot of hearsay and it does feel like it's, um, uh, I don't know how to, uh, a little bitter, but... Earlier in August, we did. There was that article in Cleveland.com about uh, Bob Wiley and talking about how Ken Zampezi was sort of the puppet master when uh, Greg Williams was coaching last year. Like he was the one who was calling all the plays. He was the one running the offense, and Freddie was just kind of benefiting from that. And I don't want to put too much stock into that because Bob Wiley is also very bitter about the way he was let go. The fact that he was like recovering from surgery and had to find out from his daughter because it was announced by the team. Like it was just a really weird firing. So I don't know how much stock I want to put into the idea that this was a Ken Zampezi run offense, but you brought up the difference between last year and this year. And I don't want to be I like I don't want to be putting on a tinfoil hat over here, but you know, I'm starting to like go to the kitchen and and wrap things up, you know, and I'm starting to get my aluminum foil out here. It's troubling. It's really troubling because they just don't look the same. Like, it's like, also, like, even I know, like, teams are going to make adjustments, but couldn't you just look at your own goddamn stuff and see, like, <laughs> you know, what, like, worked last year? Even if it was Ken Van Pizzi? it doesn't seem like there's any connection from what was being, what was successful last year to what's happening this year. Well, and, speaking and of. And the fact that Baker is so f- uncomfortable is even more aggravating because, like, I mean, Chris Collinsworth was crushing on it last night. Get the ball out fast. Why are you running three seam routes from your own end zone where you don't even have anyone turning around in time under three seconds? Yeah, I told like, you he, he dropped right back into Lake Erie on some of those. But What? Like, like this is what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know anything about football, but, like, I watch that and I go, Somehow Holy you're doing a football podcast. Shit, I'm Okay. <laughs> I listen. I I know enough about football, but I'm not gonna like give you the all 22 breakdown as if like like you're not coming here for that. You're not coming here for your, this Jake's Burn shit. You're coming here for someone to like scream a little bit into the void and make some decent like well-rounded points. But like fuck, I could have done a better job calling those three plays. How about one? How about if you're not gonna run it, throw one to Odell Beckham Jr. 
Maybe so it's funny that. that you so it's funny that you brought that up because you were talking about looking for like just looking out and seeing what your shit and seeing what you have. And that was one of the things because I, I texted you at halftime or it was like third quarter and I was like second half Chubb because it just felt like Nick Chubb wasn't really getting the ball that much in the first half. And then all of a sudden they're getting him the ball and the team's marching down the field. Uh, that's for one. And secondly, there were several plays, including on that very last drive when they're, you know, right at the end zone on the second and goal Odo Beckham Jr. was wide the fuck open and I don't know if it was because he had Aaron Donald coming at him like a Mack truck that he didn't see OBJ but like OBJ was just like standing there in the end zone and then on I want to say that third down he threw to Demetrius Harris who was double covered so it just feels like it's almost like he's afraid to throw to Odell Beckham Jr. because everyone is, is expecting him to do that. And so OBJ is going to have a lot more coverage on him than, say, Demetrius Harris. But I'm, I am I can't tell if these plays are designed for him to not throw to OBJ, to not throw to Jarvis Landry, or if he's afraid to because he doesn't want to unintentionally throw an interception because of the coverage on them. And then on top of that, like, why are they waiting until the second half to use Nick Chubb, and then why aren't you using Nick Chubb when you're, you know, at first and goal, second and goal, third and goal with less than a minute left on the clock? Like, that's just, it's mind-boggling. And it's funny because last week, after the two-minute warning of the first half, Freddie handled that two-minute offense so well. He did it so great, and it was just like, that was just like one of those, like, slivers of brilliance where you're like, okay, this is what our offense should look like. And that's what makes me wonder about the Munkin versus Kitchens offense? Like, is it every time we kind of see the flash of what we expected this offense to be? Is that Todd Munkin calling the plays? And then when you, what is it? <laughs> you draw on fourth and nine, is that Freddie Kitchens, you know? So we're going to pause for a second on the doom and gloom that was today's Browns game. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Harry's Razors. Uh, a few of us on the show use Harry's Razors. And if you visit their website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. Now, I know that this is a product that is geared towards men. Uh, but ladies, let me give you a little pro tip. If you are not using men's razors, I can tell you that you are missing out. Uh, I can definitively say from personal experience that they are going to be a million times better than any of the cutesy little pink things that you can get in the store that have flowers and daisies on them. Uh, join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. You can claim your special offer by going to harrys.com backslash blue wire. That's harrys.com slash blue wire. Uh, Harry's founders were two regular guys who were tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Uh, guys, I feel ya. Razors are way too expensive. Uh, Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 a blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, you can refresh your wallet and your face, or ladies, legs, or whatever else you might be shaving, with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip. Five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of The Rebuild and any other Blue Wire podcast can redeem the trial set at harrys.com backslash bluewire. Make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you and Peter sent you to help support the show. Hey guys, it's Peter with a question. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? 
Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them, huh? Why? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, easy, and they pay you when you win. And let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. So do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know that you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year to do it. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. It's just disappointing because we deserve to have a competent coach and good players at the same time once. Just once. It feels like, you know, say what you want about Romeo Cronell or, you know, Rob Chazinski, even fucking Mike Pettin for that matter. Oh, poor Pettin. You know, who's now just like destroying offenses as the defensive coordinator in Green Bay right now. Like, this is not the issue we wanted to be having. We have one of the most talented teams in football. Also, here's the crazy thing. I know that the sky feels like it's falling, and I'm speaking like it too, but if we win next week, we are in first fucking place in our division. Yeah, that's actually something that one of my colleagues pointed out today was if the Browns win next week, they're two and two first place in the division. If, you know, in our like weird timeline, if the season ended after next week, uh, the Browns are in it. <laughs> you know, That's like one of those things that's just so strange. And and we've all got forced to play the schedule game. Everyone did it. Schedule game is for losers, but we do it anyway. We looked at the first half of the season and said, okay, this is going to be rough. The first half of the season is going to be very, very rough. The majority of these divisional games are coming in the second half. And, you know, Pittsburgh is now without Big Ben. So we've got to deal with Mason Rudolph, which may or may not be a threat. We haven't decided yet. Nobody knows what Mason Rudolph is. Like Lamar Jackson is a very, very good quarterback. And I think he's very underrated, especially by the people in Cleveland, because nobody ever wants to admit that there's something good in Baltimore, even though Tyrod Taylor was in Baltimore for a little bit. You know what they have in Baltimore is... Crab uh, cakes? They have structure. They have crab cakes and Old Bay seasoning. Structure. They have a a football team that is like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what our defense is going to do all the time. Our offense is going to have an identity. This is what we're trying to do. At least they like put out a fucking thesis. They're like, we're going to try to do this RPO all the time and basically just make him, put him in opportunities to succeed. And even though they lost to... The Chiefs, they were competitive for about a half of that game, which is impressive because the Chiefs are very clearly the first or second best team in the NFL right now. Uh, And if the Browns went into Arrowhead Stadium, I feel like they would lose by 470 points right now. Yeah. Sorry, I missed like half of what you said because it cut out. But as long as it recorded, you can like cut this part out really quick. What was the last point that you made? If just if the Browns went into Arrowhead, um, they would lose by a thousand points. Yeah, well, not going to have that test this year. 
no kind of uh, went through that test last not. year i mean they didn't go into arrowhead the chiefs came here and that was still a it, that was an ugly game like it was it was very fun to watch patrick mahomes play but it was an ugly game for the browns um so i i, I mean i think the niners on monday night football is going to be a test the seahawks are going to be a test um this in, you know, this coming up this reflects on dorsey kitchens and munkin as much as it does the players because they have shown no ability to grow or establish building blocks or establish consistency in any capacity other than like getting penalties called on them. So yeah, that's okay. That that brings up something else that I got really, really angry about is the amount of illegal shifts that happened in the first half. Like to me, that's another, why are you getting fucking procedural penalties called on you? Exactly. That's just, I know that's just, that is just another example of like a, a coach that doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Like, this is like basic one-on-one shit. Like I've never coached football, but I'm pretty sure I could design a play that doesn't cause an illegal shift. And then there were a few times where they did try to draw penalties and it was successful like once, but it's like, don't try to win the game on goddamn penalties. Just win the fucking game playing football. Also stop trying to win the press conference. Like fucking white Hugh Jackson out here with his like, (laughs) whoa, fucking like his fucking quotes about just, I, 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 Listen, I think Bill Belichick is a total asshole and a huge piece of work. And, like, how he treats the media is disrespectful and disgusting and is, like, celebrated by mass holes as, like, something, like, fun and cool. And I don't think that's cool. I think what he did to Dana Jacobson this weekend, staring her down when she had the audacity to ask him about the um, accused rapist that they that they brought on, like, it was, like, she was like offending him somehow. Oh but yeah, and that it's, being it's her said, job. Yeah, it's that's her job. Her jo- she is doing her job, Bill Belichick. You are, um, you are a dumpster fire of a human being. You are literally. Uh, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Peter. Listen, at least though he's consistent and he knows that like the important thing is to have his team prepared and ready to go. It's like there's no, there's no doubt in where he stands in terms of what's important. He hates the media. He treats them very disrespectfully. But all of that animosity that he puts towards there, he's saving for running a good football team. Yeah, I think the shine is is starting to wear off of Freddie Kitchens because I, I did see a few people on Twitter start rumbling about Baker. But I'm looking at this and I'm looking at what I saw yesterday and what I've seen for the past three weeks. And I'm thinking Baker is not the issue. Um, you know, sophomore slumps happen. I'm hoping that this is not the case currently, but I am more concerned about Freddie Kitchens as the head coach than I am about Baker Mayfield. And I don't want to be in the fire Freddie crowd because I think that's absolutely fucking absurd to fire somebody after three games. There are people saying that he's going to be gone by the bye week, which again is so fucking stupid. But I, I think that someone with a little bit of experience needs to, you know, hold Freddie's hand a little bit. Like, there, there, there's a lot of on-the-job learning with any job. It doesn't matter whether you're a cashier at Walmart or if you're the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. There's always going to be, you know, some on-site learning. There's always going to be some experience that's going to help you more than someone teaching you. But I think at this point, Freddie needs some experience on his side. He needs some kind of veteran presence to help him out and to like catch him when he's falling because right now he's falling. 
Yeah, it's not good, and it's not going to get. I listen. I know that this is the NFL season is seventeen little tiny universes, and right now it feels seventeen bad. timelines, and yeah. we're in the dark. We are in the darkest timeline. Well, for now, until we play <laughs> next week and the following week, someone's um, got to roll a dice and get us out of this timeline. Oh, seriously, it's uh, it's not good. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess we can talk more about this game. I just want to shout out our defense. And I understand that Cooper Cup was, like, open a bunch, like, a lot. But they still only gave up 20 points. They did their job. They held up their end of the bargain. We had neither. We had no one in the backfield. Five guys, five of our starters on the defensive side that were out. So the fact that that the backup secondary played that well, I think, speaks volume to the depth that the Browns have on defense. And that's showing why the Browns defense is ranked so highly. And uh, I always and forever will tell Miles Garrett every day that I love him because I do. Yeah. I mean, he was, I was a little, little disappointed in the first two weeks because of the crap penalties, but he even said uh, earlier this week before the game, he said, I need to be better. I need to not fall on people with body weight. I need to be more aware of where I am to make sure I'm not doing penalties. And you know what? That fucking happened. Yeah. Our and he defense, got a strip sock out of it, too. My man got a strip sack. Our defense has a plan and our our offense is. Uh, well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not just that it's a plan. It's that the defense is saying, hey, this is what we need to do. And then they fucking do it. Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield have come out and said, oh, I just it's on me. I got to do this. I got to do this. And then they're listing all of the laundry list of things that they need to do to be better. And then they don't fucking do them. So that's where the defense really gets the shout out is they looked at themselves in the past two weeks and said, oh, Miles said, OK, I'm not going to be falling full body weight here. We're not going to do this. We're you know, we're going to be doing man to man. We're going to be doing zone here like they're they're going through and saying, this is what I need to do to be better. And then they did it. And yeah. it wasn't our starters. It was our backups. So I think the thing that's frustrating as someone who's been eating this poop salad sandwich for Gross. 20 years, um, every, like it, it, our defense always plays like it's usually our defense overperforming and our offense not being able to do the bare minimum. That is two decades of brown narratives um, that is just so exhausting, so freaking exhausting. And the fact that we have all these weapons, and even though our line is, you know, like, you know, our line is hurt, like, game plan. Like, th- like run the ball more. Run Like, Nick Chubb still didn't get enough touches. It wasn't even close. Like, I would rather see them run the ball three times and get, like, three or four three and outs that way. And, I, like, I would prefer that. I would prefer a bunch of, like, Nick Chubb ran the ball three times and it was three and out because odds are – He's going to get a first down if you look at his averages and the way yeah. he breaks tackles. Replace uh, Nick Chubb with Duke Johnson, and I'm having 2018 flashbacks because this is the exact same thing we were saying about Duke Johnson last year was give Duke Johnson the ball more. Give him the ball. Give him the ball. Give him the ball. He never got the ball. Then all of a sudden, John Dorsey signs Kareem Hunt, and Duke Johnson says, all right, I'm out. I mean, I don't know what – like, you're going to – like. Give Duke Johnson these carries because what are you going to get him down to Nick nine Chubb. fucking yeah? Give Duke, Nick <laughs> Sorry, Chubb these carries. no, I confused like, you, but yeah, it's no, the same it, thing. It's the same thing because Nick Chubb Kareem, and Duke jo- and Duke Johnson are very similar players. And when and Kareem everything, Hunt comes back, what are you going to give Duke Johnson? Are you going to give fucking Nick Chubb nine carries? Yeah, is that what you're going to do? You have no plan. Yeah, like, we don't, guys. 
we don't need plan. Fi- <laughs> we don't need five wideouts on the field. I'm so sick of our coach and running back, or coach and quarterback, telling the fans to show up and be loud. You know what you should do? Your job. Come up with a plan. Uh, this is the part where if we had a soundboard, we'd uh, insert the make a plan and follow through, because that's what Brian Boitano do. Yeah, you're darn right. All right, Mary, is there any <laughs> for, more? For anyone who, who watched the South Park movie yeah, no, 15 if you don't, years ago. If you don't understand that reference, um, catch hey, up, I, guys. I know, right? It's yeah. like my fa- it's one of my favorites. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I mean, else that's... you want to say about this shit game? I mean, I really don't. Um, I think it was... I think that there are a few silver linings, which we did talk about in Nick Chubb and and our defense and Miles Garrett and his improvements uh, from last week to this week. But, you know, it's I'm hoping that we can hop on next week and not have to go through these same conversations again, because like week one, it don't was, hold your breath. Well, because like week one, it was shitty penalties. And week one, I said that it's not necessarily the penalties that worry me. It's the type of penalties. The fact that they had very undisciplined penalties in terms of kicking guys in the head, punching people in the face. This week, it's illegal shifts. Like, it's still really, really bad penalties. Like, get all the fucking holding penalties in the world. Even, you know, go for those PIs. Like, those don't bother me because that's playing football because every guy holds on every play. It's just whether or not the ref sees it. So if the Browns came away with 30 holding penalties yesterday, I'd still not be as angry about that as I am about the three or four illegal shift penalties that were in the first half of the game. So there's just, it's still, it's, it's the same conversation that we've had for the past two weeks, you know, and I'm hoping for something better, but you, uh, you will be talking with Taylor Biscotti, correct? This week? I will. So tell us a little, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, we're going to preview this, this Browns Ravens. She's Ravens royalty and I'm going to talk a bunch of shit and see what happens. Hopefully she talks shit back. Uh, I will let her know that if you give her any problems to let me know and I'll kick your ass. Taylor's the best. And, uh, (laughs) the most respectful thing I can do is, uh, um, be snarky with any person associated with the Ravens, but she's a big Baker Mayfield fan. So I'm excited to hear her take you can also check her out on her podcast let's catch up on the blue iron network with sam batesh super good podcast um and uh yeah we'll uh we'll see what happens with this ravens game i don't uh now i'm like annoyed that i have to like follow the team this week they really pissed me off well now you know what my life is like every day yeah good for you doing the <laughs> lord's work i'm trying i All am right. trying Meredith, uh, people Peter. can find you at MK on Sports on the Twitter. I'm at Danger Moses. Um, let's do this again next week. Go Browns. Go Browns.